Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and now tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Happy New Year's, Hoops fans. Coming up on episode 63 of the Hangtime podcast. Seku and Lang talk with Darnell Mayberry from the Oklahoman about the Thunder's fast start. Lang and Chris Mannix from SI try to decide who's driving the bus on the Ricky Rubio bandwagon. And SB Nation's Tom Ziller mourns for the DeMarcus Cousins situation going on in Sacramento. All that and a visit from Shaq Sardamas coming up on... Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Joining us now, Houston Rockets head coach Kevin McHale. I tell you what, for Vikings fans... Green Bay playing the Bears is like, do you want to get hung or do you want to get shot? With your host, Galliot Anderson, stops it down behind his head. Seku Smith and Lang Whitaker. The NBA's executive vice president of basketball operations, Stu Jackson, is joining us now on the podcast. I wanted to ask you, Stu, the players see you coming, do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID. Sports editor of the nation. Dave Cyrus. Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign somebody with one eye and two microfracture surgeries. But shut my mouth. He's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen. Now it's time for the tip off. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy Rubio to some of you. <laughs> <laughs> Lang Whitaker, my co host, Seku Smith from the Hangtime Blog at NBA.com. Langston, it's been a week, but it seems like it's been. Three months of just fireworks. It's literally been eight days since the season started. (laughs) I mean, it just, it seems like we cram so much. It does. So little. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. It's crazy how how many, how much stuff is happening uh, Uh, so fast. Now, now, it it is a new year. It's technically 2012. Did you ring it in properly? I mean, did you? I was barely awake. (laughs) I'm, I'm too old. (laughs) <laughs> exactly exactly uh, everybody's asking like hey what are you gonna do for the year and i was like i'm gonna try and stay awake that's 1201 you know i mean if i could pull that off i'd be doing well i watched a ton of basketball um you know over the weekend mm-hmm. uh and i you know you're trying to watch all these different matchups all these different games <clears throat> certainly was trying to watch andrew bynum and uh, finally making his debut for the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, did you see a new and improved Bynum that you were looking for when you when you watched them? I think so. I, I, I think with the Lakers, it's still too early to, to kind of judge them. You, you know, just, they've made so many changes. I mean, Odom meant so much to them. And, and, you know, last year, if Bynum was out for those four games, Odom would have started. Um fit right into what they were doing and and now i think it's so different and and they still haven't really um i i read the other day they had their first day off since training camp started you know they they they're so behind trying to put in everything mike brown wants to put in that i i think it's still too early to to kind of um 
make any concrete judgment about the Lakers yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just wanting to make sure us that he looked like a guy who had spent his off season hitting the heavy bag with Freddie Roach, you know, and, I, yeah. and he looked physical to me. He looked like good. I, yeah. Yeah. I was wanting to see, did he look like the, the kind of physical specimen I thought he would be? Cause you know, Bynum, Bynum's always been a, a behemoth. He's always been a big dude, but uh, I wanted to see if he looked and played like kind of a bully, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that he turns into a bully this year. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think that'll come with, you know, age and experience and maybe, you know, without Odom there now, he, he steps up a little bit and knows that, you know, um, he he has to step up. And this is his yeah. time. I think Kobe said something after the game. Like if he plays like this every game, we're going to be good. So, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's maturation and it's him. Um, I also think it's a little bit of confidence, and you know, yeah. maybe that'll come now. Yeah, I mean, I think like I think the Odom part of it is is a huge piece as well. I'm glad you glad you thought of that. Um, a shout out before we go any further to uh LeBron James and Savannah Brinson Lang uh, mm-hmm. getting engaged on New Year's Eve uh the day after LeBron's 27th birthday he is he is kicking off 2012 with some serious bang mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's going to be a ring ceremony at some point in LeBron's <laughs> future I don't, I don't I don't know which one comes first but there will be a ring on his finger at some point. Seku, I don't know if you were reading all the comments on the Hangtime blog, but that joke was made about 150 ah, times. Ah, no, yeah, people are just bad, Micah. They, you know, I mean, <laughs> this. I know I was legit. I'm, I'm legitimately excited for the guy. I mean, good for him. You know what I mean? Like, con- uh, like a really heartfelt, legitimate congratulations. Totally and agree. Course, and of course, people are like, uh, you know, they think you're either making a joke about it. I, I wouldn't joke about that. Right, really I agree. Um, I'm, you know, good for the guy, I'm, and he's, you know, they got two beautiful kids. I mean, what, what, what more could you ask for? So yeah, I'm, I'm giving a gigantic shout out to LeBron on uh, his pending nuptials. Uh, Lang, before we get into the basketball, you know, with both feet, it is college football day for you. I know it's a pretty big day for you. It um, is. And and a, a friend of ours, Steve Smith, wanted me to remind you that. Uh, that he still owes me lunch from the Outback Bowl <laughs> in 2008 or nine, whatever that was. Exactly. That that uh, he's predicting bad things come coming your way. Um, <laughs> can, the, can the dogs pull this one off? Uh, I feel pretty good about it. You know, last night I was actually uh, online and I, I spent a lot of time and I was reading up on the 2012 season. Right. Um, and you know, in, in a way that's kind of what college football becomes when your team isn't, if you're not playing for the title, it's just a bowl game, you know? Right. So then, so then you're, you're just kind of like, Oh, okay. So I think we'll be all right. I, I Georgia's, you know, played well. And I, I think, um, the defense really the last two months just got better and better every single game. And, and I, so I, I kind of, I feel pretty comfortable with it and, uh, pretty confident. I, I know Smitty likes to talk a lot of smack. <laughs> um, we made a friendly wager a couple of years ago when Georgia and Michigan State played, and and Georgia won, and um, I still haven't had that lunch that uh, Mr. Smith promised me. <laughs> well, I can tell you, making making bets with Smitty is a dangerous proposition, as my Twitter, <laughs> as my Twitter avatar will uh, display us. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, uh, and I know you have, Lang and Micah, but uh, the little the little kid getting cracked in the job by the you know, wearing the Michigan outfit, getting cracked in the job by the kid wearing the Michigan State outfit. I've had quite a few people tell me that they're ready for that to come down 
unfortunately, uh, it won't be going anywhere until Michigan and Michigan State play basketball, and I get Smitty back. So, right. Um, you know, but back back to our first, uh, you know, topic. Always on on the Hangtime podcast. Basketball. Who have you seen <laughs> after these eight days? Who. And, and we'll get to some of, you know, like I know I mentioned Rubio earlier. We'll get to him later in the show. But what else have you seen? Who have you seen that's sticking out to you right now in the forefront of your mind as a guy who really looks like they've shown up this season ready to do damage? Besides Kevin Durant? Or does that, yeah, <laughs> Durant, obvious? I mean, we knew he was, yeah, we, we knew he was going to be ready to rock. But, I mean, have you – and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a name that kind of surprised me that I, I didn't realize he'd be back and playing at this level. Um, even though he's got some bumps and bruises, but did you see Monte Ellis the other night? Yeah, Have you watched Monte at all? Yeah, and I and I remember there was some trade talk, and I, I'm sure you remember there was some some chatter about him, you know, being upset that his name was mentioned and that he might potentially want out of Golden State, this that, and the other. But I'm I'm liking the idea of Monte and Steph Curry playing in Mark, you know, for Mark Jackson and what mm-hmm. that potentially could be at Golden State. And I'm wondering if you watched him at all and what you think. I think health's a big thing with both of those guys, um, yeah. you know, and, and, and Curry's been kind of slowed this year by the sprained ankle thing. But um, I agree with you. You know, they're not the biggest backcourt um, size-wise, but they might be the fastest. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of other two guys who are as quick as they are um, together. Uh, but, uh, yeah, with Mark Jackson there, I think, you know, you can question if, you know, Mark Jackson doesn't have any experience as a head coach in the NBA and – all this other stuff, but you know, the, the man's one of the best guards to ever play basketball and he's got two really good young guards playing for him. I mean, who, yeah. who better to like mentor these two guys than Mark Jackson? I've been impressed too. Like you watch some of these, these guys who are in these different coaching situations, Mike Brown's in a new situation, certainly not a rookie coach, but in a new situation, right. Mark Jackson's in a, you know, a rookie coach and in a, in a very, you know, specific situation there in Golden State with a lot of new pieces around in the front office and and what have you. I'm I'm almost like anxious to see which one of these guys stumbles first. Not because I'm rooting for them to fall but, or fail or anything like that, but I'm just r- curious to see how they react and respond yeah, totally. to the first sign of real adversity or you know or drama. Uh, it's not the know. stumble; it's how they react to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm curious to see what exactly they do to uh, to combat that. And, you know, I think it's what, something that all young coaches and all, you know, rookie coaches have to deal with. But that's not to say, Lang, that, that you haven't been on the job for a couple of years and you don't have that sort of drama to deal with. Uh, and our first guest uh, on the show today is a guy who's well-versed in the drama that can <laughs> arise on a, on a roster. Uh, Darnell Mayberry from the, the Oklahoma is here with us Uh covers the Oklahoma City Thunder and uh Darnell happy new year to you first and foremost my man um and how are you I'm good man how you guys doing <laughs> We're good we're good you uh you probably thought you put the the KD Russell Westbrook stuff to bed at the playoffs last year and and here you are again early in the year having to to, to deal with the same thing what's going on with that dynamic on that team You know what I mean it was it was really no big deal in in the sense of the big picture, and, and I sort of wish that it wasn't those two guys because I, I, I you know you sort of knew that everyone was uh, make it out to be this this big beef between them, right? Um, and and it's really not that sort of thing. I think this was more of an isolated incident, 
but um, you know it happened, and, and they're moving on from. Were they? I, I know you know that night it happened. It all kind of blew up pretty fast all over Twitter and the internet and everything. I mean, are they? You said they're moving on. I mean, were they pretty quick t- to put that behind them? Yeah, like I wrote, you know, uh, and I think this got lost, obviously, in, right. in the, this day and age with the social media and everything. But uh, Durant came out after that timeout, patted him on the head, and mm-hmm. everything was good from there. So, uh, you know, the, those guys are good friends, and you know, there, there was really nothing big picture to it. It was just a real heated argument at the time, and, and uh, they disagreed about whatever and, and moved on. Darnell, do you feel like this is a thing, a relationship that, that's going to continue to evolve in front of everybody? Or do you think at some point the, the fact that Russell is a headstrong, you know, confident guy, as confident as, as obviously Kevin is, that there's going to have to be some sort of, uh, you know, meeting of the minds beyond just those two? Like somebody has to get involved, Sam Presti, or somebody else has to kind of step in and help them get this thing squared away so this team can move past that? You know, it's not just Russ and Kevin on this team, in my opinion. Right. Uh, I think we all look at Russ and Kevin because they're the best two players, two all-stars, mm-hmm. two all-NBA players. You know, they're the best two players, like I said, and they have to figure out how to play off of each other uh, better in crunch time. Uh, we saw that last season in the playoffs. So, uh, you know, they definitely have room to grow in that department. But there's a lot of personalities on this team, whether it's Durant, Westbrook, James Harden, Serge Ibaka, Kendrick Perkins. There's a lot of personalities and potentially a lot of egos. So uh, when you ask about figuring it out down the road, I think someone has to to, to be able to be uh, sort of a leader on this team, whether it's a coach, whether it's one of the players, and say, hey, you know, this is our guy. This is who's going to lead us. This is how we're going to do things. So. Uh, I think that's something to watch going forward as they as they continue to mature and become one of the, the elite teams in this league. You know, we talk about. Oh, I was sorry, Mike. I was going to say, Darnell. We talk about teams having a um, you know a big three or, or a big two, and if those guys are the are kind of the big two, who's the third guy um, who's going to have to run alongside them to to and really step up to to make this team a, a championship team? James Harden, uh, no doubt about it. He's six-man-of-the-year candidate this year. I think he's probably going to win it right. if he continues to play with how he's playing this season. Uh, he almost had a triple-double uh, the other night, so uh, and he struggled. He's one for six, and he had like eight points, seven assists, uh, like six rebounds or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the guy is an incredible playmaker. He can shoot the three, he can get to the rim and the free-throw line whenever he wants to, uh, and he's just a perfect buffer between Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Uh, and sort of give you a, a different look uh, when he's out there. So, you know, I look at him as, as the guy who really needs to step up for this team to take off. Darnell, you talked about how, you know, Harden needs to be that guy. And it seems like, especially last year in the playoffs, late in games, he he, de- he definitely seems to be the best passer on that team. Do you foresee any, any friction there that maybe he's the guy that towards the end of the game should be having the ball in his hands instead of Westbrook, or is that going a little too far? Well, not just yet, because for whatever reason, they haven't really done it yet. And, you know, I, I asked Scott Brooks in training camp, I said, is that something that we can see more often? And, uh, you know, he said that James needs to, needs to do it a little bit more, but he was sort of hesitant to, to really throw it out there and put it out there and say, yeah, that's something that we're going to do a lot more often. But, uh, 
Uh, I think everyone can see that James Harden is definitely the best passer on this team, and uh, you put him in that pick and roll, he's going to get someone a, a good shot. So, um, you know, it's not just him, Eric Maynard as well. So, Russell Westbrook, though, is dynamic. You can't deny that. Mm-hmm. When he has the ball in his hand, he's going to get to the rim and, and it's either going to be a charge or he's going to dunk on someone. <laughs> so, you got to take your chances with that. <laughs> right. Darnell, I'm. Having having been there in terms of, you know, you're covering a team on a daily basis, you know, and you got national people, you know, kind of parachuting in and, and tossing opinions out about that team. What are we missing about the fabric of that Thunder team from afar that maybe you see up close? You know, I mean, what is it about them that kind of keep that makes them go? You know, is is it the the players and, and their dynamic as a group? Is it something Scott Brooks is doing? But what is it about that team that maybe is – is, is being overlooked by those of us from afar that's going on right now with the Thunder? Those guys just work, man. I mean, that's it. You know, it sounds it sounds trite and it sounds cliche, but they just work every day. And it's amazing when you look at a group of 22, 23, 24-year-old guys mm-hmm. who are able to focus in, you know, so, so well and, and just focus on the task at hand. Whether they win or lose, they're going to come out the next day and continue to work, get in the gym, and try to get better, whether it's Kevin Durant, you know, or Roy Ivey. So uh, it's amazing the level of dedication that this team has. They don't get caught up in, you know, people predicting them to go to the finals or win whatever individual award it might be. They just want to come out and get better and, and try to improve individually and collectively. Darnell, Charles Barkley was talking the other night about how he, he kind of felt – the Thunder need a, a low post or a post scoring threat to, to really push them over the top to the, to that next level. Um, it, I mean, I, I know they don't have a, a, a guy. I mean, there's, there's very few of those guys in the NBA who are, who are like consistent low post scoring threats, but um, do you think they have what it takes right now to win a title or, or is, are they still need to address something here or there? I mean, they, they, they just need the experience. Uh, you know, I've, obviously everyone is looking for that post score, that low post score. But look at the two teams in the finals last year. They didn't really have a low post score, neither right. one of them, Dallas or Miami. So, um, you know, if you have Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, two guys that can, uh, one of the two of the best scorers in this league and can get to the free throw line, that's your easy points right there, right. getting to the free throw line. And we talked about James Harden and his ability to get there. So, uh, KD is starting to post up a little bit more. Um, you know, Kendrick Perkins, they're throwing it into him a little bit more. Obviously, you can't rely on Perkins to get you buckets down there. Uh, but, but you know, they've got some weapons. And I just think the experience, more than anything, is going gonna, is gonna to dictate whether or not this team can, can make it to the finals and, and potentially compete for a championship. No doubt about it. Well, listen, Darnell, man, we appreciate you as always, man. Great work as always covering the Thunder. And we'll be getting up with you again as the season rolls on, man. Happy New Year. All right, thanks, guys. Happy New Year to you as well. Thanks, Darnell. Thanks, man. Darnell Mayberry of the Oklahoma Lang. He, that was a great question you asked him, and it's uh, and it's one of those weird things where you know all these ideas about how teams are built and and how championships are won have kind of been tipped upside down the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about the Heat and how they overnight changed that franchise, and and how other teams are trying to to really copy that mode. Um, 2012 is upon us, Lang. 
you know, everybody's got an idea who's going to do what. Um, you know, people are, are trying to predict the future, I <laughs> guess, if you will. Um, Micah, I know we, we had a good laugh uh, uh, over the weekend watching our man Shaq and uh, do his Shaq. Shaq Stradamus, I believe, is uh, I think that's right. the character he unveiled the other night on, on Inside. Um, let's let's get a little list of that, and, and then uh, we'll come back and, and, and come up with some of our own predictions. Hope that road game. I have predictions for 2012, since this is our last show of 2011. Oh, this is our last show? Yes. Shh. Okay. Concentrate on thy predictions. This is very Number dramatic. 10. Thanks for sponsoring us, Rogaine, but Rogaine ain't helping any of us in 2012. <laughs> That's a prediction. Remains to be yes. seen. I don't know. Number sure. nine, the big analytical will turn 40 this year, but I still will be sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight, speaking of sexy, thanks to Weight Watchers, Charles' ass will be smaller than Kim Kardashian's. <laughs> <laughs> and J-Lo. Number seven, my book Shaq Uncut will be a bestseller. Kenny's new book, I Got Cut, won't. <laughs> Number six, EJ will guest star on CNN's <laughs> Being Black in America. I like that. Number five, uh... TNT knows drama and is hiring Steven Spielberg to remake my movie Steel, and this time we're going to get it right. Steel, okay. I want Number four, I don't know why, I but the NBA back. free throw percentages are going to be way up this year. Oh, I know why. I'm not playing. Yeah. <laughs> Number three, the Mayans with some smart cats. But the world ain't ending in 2012. Number two, after Chuck, Chuck falls off the Weight Watchers wagon, he will star in Precious 2. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, LSU will win in January, the Spurs will win in June, and Obama will win in November. Let's hope one of those are right. <laughs> I, I got a prediction for you, fellas. The ratings on inside will go through the roof now that Shaq has joined the party. What, what do you think about that? <laughs> I, I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah, I, don't, I was. I'm trying to think of. A, I mean, what predictions do, do we need to make here? Um, I predicted the Heat are going to win the finals in in the NBA preview and Slam. Right. Um, I think Derek Williams will probably get the Rookie of the Year um, in Minnesota, uh, but. I mean, what 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 do you got? You got any, you got any predictions for us, Seiko? You know, my only – I predict UGA is going to beat Michigan State today. <laughs> well, I, I predict John Schumann will be donning a uh, Denard <laughs> Robinson wig at some point in the next few days on a on a friendly little wager we made on Michigan-Virginia Tech. But uh, that's another story. But, no, I, I, my big prediction this year is I went out on a limb like some other people did and um, – I'm I'm going to go ahead and dive in the in the cool waters and, and predict that the Clippers are are going to upset somebody in the Western Conference playoffs and make it to the Western Conference finals. Right. And I know it's I know that's a that's jumping the gun a little bit, but I just got a feeling about Chris Paul and the dynamic on that team and what they might be capable of. Um and, and I'm going to I'm going to go ahead now and say it. I I think the Clippers are the surprise team in the Western Conference playoffs this year. I don't know what they'll do in the regular season. I just know they're making the playoffs, and once they get in there, it's, it's Katie by the door. I think they got a chance to, to do some serious damage come playoff time. What about, You got a uh, surprise team in the East? In the East, it's a little tougher for me, Lang. Um, mostly because I, you know the East has kind of the, the, the power has kind of shifted a little bit the last few years. 
I don't I don't know what to make of a couple of these teams in the Eastern Conference right now. I, I want to love the Pacers. Yeah. You know, I really want to believe in what they got going on. Um, but, my, you know, there's some question marks still. I don't know how Danny Granger and, and David West vibe and, and who becomes the, the kind of the go-to guy. I know they play in two different spots on the floor most of the night. You know, yeah. you got Granger on the perimeter a little bit and, and West maybe more inside. But I don't think David West is a low post throw the ball into him and he he goes to work with his back to the right, basket. No, he's a great spot shooter. Yeah, so it's kind of a, a dynamic there that I'm still not sure about. Um, but I, I I think if I'm looking at Eastern Conference teams that, that to me could come out and, and, and really stun some people, I would love to see if the Pacers are that team. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I but I'm still not sure. I'm, I'm still not sure. I hear. Um, Michael, what about you? You got to have some sort of predictions, you know, loaded up in there. You got something, don't you? I actually uh, I have a couple. I'm gonna go on a limb and say we're gonna see another uh, quadruple double this year. It's been it's been too long, but uh, with all the stats going crazy and all the different sports right. like football and passing yards, all that stuff, it's time for basketball to get back in that. I, I say maybe maybe LeBron, maybe Wade, maybe Dwight. Somebody's getting quadruple double. Okay. All right. What about well, I mean, what about our, what about Kevin Lovey? Yeah, he could do love, it. Love could be a he could be a dude that that pulled that out of his head. I guess some kind of way. He, he's certainly a dude that's gonna get a, a couple of these monster point rebound nights. I would imagine this year. Um, and I, I think I, I think he's gonna benefit from playing with uh, with our man Ricky Rubio. Oh yeah. Oh, and yeah. Uh, I, I well, we should go ahead right now. We on the phone with us from Sports Illustrated is Chris Mannix. And uh, Chris, how are you, man? I'm good, guys. How you doing? We're good, good man. Good, good. Happy New Year, Chris. Um, Same to you, buddy. Listen, I, I, I got to get to the bottom of this. I hate to play referee on so soon in this new year, but Lang for years has been singing singing Ricky Rubio's praises to me and, and uh, crowing about how Rubio's going to, you know, he's the the next superstar in the league. But there's been some controversy. Some people say you're the man who, who, who first started driving that car. Lang says he is. Somebody, somebody settle this for me. Hey, do, do not make me bust out Ricky Rubio's elementary school report card because that's how far back my uh, my knowledge and obsession with this guy has gone. And I mean, I, I can't indicate exactly when you know I started to jump on his bandwagon, but it was well before the 2008 Olympics. Uh, you know, just seeing this kid's playmaking skills. I mean, obviously there were holes in his game back then, but you know, there are certain things that you just can't teach in in, in in players, especially in point guards. And he has that. That innate sort of, I hate to use this kind of word, but that innate Magic Johnson-esque ability to pass the basketball. And, you know, I, again, I, I can't dictate point exactly to what it was, but, man, it was, it's been a long time where, where Ricky Rubio's poster's been hanging up in my bedroom. And, uh, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's continuing to this day, and I feel somewhat vindicated by his, uh, his quick start. I think it's only going to get better over the next uh, couple of months and, and into the future. No, I, I think we both feel vindicated, Chris. You know, I, I, I know I was at the 2006 finals in, in Miami, and one of the guys from Spain was telling me that there's this, um, at the time, 14-year-old who was playing in the major league in Spain. And I'm like, what? Are you serious? And, but that was the summer he played in the under-16 championships, and he scored 51 points in the final against Russia. And I, I was trying to set up a story on him, and I was like, oh, great. Now it's going to blow up like before <laughs> before we could even get over there. Um you know, I thought, and I don't know, I'm, I'm curious for your take on this, Chris. I thought that he was going to um, be a good player in the NBA and, and play about like he's playing now, but I, I didn't really think it was going to happen this quickly. What Is this kind of what you expected this fast? Well, 
uh, some of it. I mean, I think that his comfort level watching him play, it, it surprised me a little bit. But mm-hmm. I guess maybe he shouldn't because, remember, he's been playing at high-level pro basketball for a very long time. Yeah. I mean, the NBA is obviously the highest level, but uh, he's been playing at a, you know, he's been playing against top, you know, grown men. Uh, for a very long time, he, he stepped in the last few couple of weeks and then looked really comfortable in that role. And you know, I, I, there there uh, there are things in his game that I still think need work up, work up to the shooting right. and the defense are, are first and foremost. But you know, I, I go back when I think of like a, a point guard developing. I go back to Chauncey Billups, and mm-hmm. I was working for the Celtics back in in the '90s when Chauncey first came with the league. And you know, Chauncey, if you remember, like now he's this, he's this heady point guard, right? Always calm under pressure, makes big shots. Chauncey didn't want any part of the ball back then. You know, he would get the ball once it was inbound to him and hand it back to Antoine Walker to bring up the court. <laughs> and, and just seeing, you know, what Chauncey is now sort of makes you feel that Rubio, you know, given how comfortable he is right now, he's a chance to be, uh, you know, a, a perennial all-star uh, every single year. So to answer your question, I'm a little bit surprised, but, you know, when I think about his past and, and, and all he's gone through to get to this point, uh, I guess I shouldn't be. Chris, I, I, I don't know how much longer – you know, Rick Adaman will be able to go without doing yeah. the inevitable and, and taking my man Luke Ridden out of starting lineup and, <laughs> and putting Rubio in there. But I mean, are you are you concerned at all that that they maybe rush things and you know you get excited after this first eight days and then you go you throw him in there and say let's go let's go and maybe he hits a point where he struggles a little bit and loses his confidence or do you think he's past that because of all the stuff he's gone through playing over in Spain and in Europe? Well, I think I think he's going to lose his confidence at some point. You know, I mean, he's a, he's a rookie playing on a team that's going to stink. You know, there are going to be moments that he feels uh, down and feels and needs that sort of pick me up from Rick Adelman and his teammates. But you know, I, I think you're right. I, I think you've got to throw him in there and have it be a trial by fire. Look, your team is going nowhere this year. You're not going to uh, not going to make the playoffs, and the best you can hope for is maybe competing for that eighth seed in you know in, in mid February. But at this point, I would put him in there with Derek Williams and with Kevin Love and with Berea and with Darko and see if this group can do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, see if they can, you know, put, throw it to the fire right away and see if they can turn out to be players. Uh, I think that's Rick Adelman's best course. With Luke, Luke Rittenauer, he's a caretaker. I mean, he, he's a nice little player, but he's a backup <laughs> right now with this team. And you got to put play Ricky Rubio. you got to play him big minutes. You know, I would play Ricky between 30 and 35 minutes per game. I, I would give him as many minutes as his body can handle uh, in this short season, and just comfortable because next year is the year, guys, when this team's going to want to take a big jump. Right. Next right. year is the year with Rubio in second year, Williams and Love, who continues to get better. It's amazing every single year how much better he gets, uh, you know, at, with every offseason. But you know, whoever they get with the draft pick, and you know, there's lots of ways the team's going to go next year. But now's the year you want to make the mistake. You know, mm-hmm. get all the screw ups out of the way, get these guys comfortable with their with their teammates and with their position, and build on that. So yeah, I definitely throw them in and let him play right away, regardless of how he looks on specific nights. Chris, you better be careful talking about Rittenauer, because Sekou is really <laughs> – he gets super touchy about Rittenauer. <laughs> I, like, I like him, but is he the answer? Is he, is he going to be the point guard of that team in the long term? No, no. It's, obvi- it's obviously Rubio. Um, you know, I'm just hoping Luke gets to hang around long enough to <laughs> – some of the some of the fruits of Ricky's labor. That's all. <laughs> Chris, right right before you came on, we were also talking about teams in the East that are that are surprising us a little bit this year. Is there a team in the East that's kind of stuck out to you this season? Well, uh, I mean, it's early, but I love the way Indiana's played so far. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought that this young team uh, were just where they were just missing a power forward to get things done. I mean, they had great size and different, who sort of you know became a different player in the second half of last season once Frank Vogel got in there, moved him back to the low post, gave him some, some consistency, I think. 
uh, and where he was playing. Uh, I think he and I, and I think the natural development of a guy like Darren Collison, who proved last year he could be a starting point guard for a whole season, uh, of Paul George, who looks pretty comfortable at that two spot now, of Granger playing with guys that aren't garbage around him uh, every single night. And actually, it, it looks like from afar that this team was a power forward away. And now, now they have great size all around. Now Tyler Hansborough moving to the bench gives yeah. them a good front court rotation. I mean, guys, you know, superstars. You know, they run this league. I mean, Kobe is the star of the Lakers, but the Lakers won because they had spots. You know, they won because Gasol, Bynum, and Odom uh, were a three-headed monster there at times. And I look at this this Indiana team, and while they're still not, I don't think, a real threat in the postseason, I mean, their team, if you keep this group together, they have a chance to be a really, really strong team uh, at the end of the year and, and going into the next season. This team, uh, I think, is, along with Philadelphia, I think has the best chance of competing with the Miami uh, or, uh, or Chicago down the road. Chris, do you feel like, I mean, and, and we're talking about these different teams that I think transformed themselves over the course of the last few months. Do you feel like not only the Pacers, but maybe uh, some of these other teams in the Eastern Conference have, have kind of had to wake up and realize that, hey, the Heat are not just going to be good for the next few years. They're going to be fantastic. I mean, like historically good. Do you feel like these other teams woke up and said, hey, we better get it together and find a way to compete for that second through, you know, fifth spot in the Eastern Conference next few years or or go back to just being completely irrelevant? Yeah, I, I think that there's some truth to that. And I like you guys talk to, you know, opposing team scouts when they're in the, they're in the arenas. And they echo a lot of that sense that the Heat are going to be a regular season juggernaut. I will say this, though, that, you know, the Heat's lack of a five, I think, is a flaw that I think a lot of teams are hoping to exploit over the course of the next three or four years. So, you know, if Miami can't get a guy besides Joel Anthony or insert, you know, journeyman's name here playing that spot, you know, I think teams think they can exploit that in the middle. But as far as seeding goes, I think everyone's perfectly willing at this point to give Miami that top seed. I mean, you talk to people in Boston, you know, they, they couldn't care whether they finished, you know, second or eighth at this point. You know, they just want to make sure – that they're healthy going in. I mean, Chicago, I think it's naturally going to be competitive because that was their spot last year. But other than that, I mean, New York, Atlanta, you know, Philadelphia, Indiana, I mean, these Orlando. Now, these teams, I don't think they're concerning themselves right now with competing with Miami in the regular season. I think they're, you know, if they're talking about playing Miami in, in the playoffs, they're looking for ways to exploit them. I, I still think, uh, you know, that center position, you know, exposing them in the middle with size and power is the way that I think a lot of teams think is the best way to expose the Miami team. Chris, before we let you go, we, we were doing predictions for 2012, and I, I got a question not about basketball. Ricky I know you, Rubio for MVP. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, yes. I, know you, I know you also cover boxing for SI. So in 2012, are we going to see Mayweather-Pacquiao? I think we will, and I think we'll see it in November. Uh, obviously, Floyd's going to jail January 6th. Uh, he's going to be in there probably about two months uh, with good behavior. Uh, when he comes out, obviously he's not going to want to fight right away in the first half right. of the year. But I, I think you know he's going to see the writing on the wall a little bit. You know, he's going to be 35 years old uh, in March. I think it's March. Uh, and I, I think that now's the time to have this mega fight happen. I mean, Pacquiao's talking about retirement. You know, Floyd, even though he's so fast, so good right now, when, when guys fight like that, their skills tend to erode rather quickly. You know, once mm-hmm. you become hittable, you become a different fighter. I mean, the great example is Roy Jones. I mean, Roy, in his prime, was completely unhittable. Now, I was in his last fight in Atlanta, uh, and he was fighting a guy that was 0-6-1 in his last seven fights, hadn't fought actually in 26 months, mm. uh, but he was hitting him all over the place. You know, and Floyd, I don't think he's going to get to that point because I think Floyd will walk away before that. But if you're talking about fighting an elite fighter like Pacquiao, 
who will throw small sorts of magnals who can hit you in every possible direction, uh, you have to be at your best. And I think Floyd's realizing or will realize that by the end of this year, it's really his last chance to be at his best against the Pacquiao. So I, I think it'll happen in November uh, at the MGM Grand. All right, Chris. When I thanks for coming on. When I get back to New York, I'll, you know, you and I can go to a bar, go to one of our houses, put on our Rubio jerseys, and uh, <laughs> watch some Timberwolves games on League Pass. And we'll buy one for Lang to wear on TV too. We got to make sure we get him on the bandwagon as well. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. All right, guys. Thanks, Chris. I, I, I'm not even going to dive into the uh, Floyd Mayweather part of the conversation. All right. Because we know. Floyd is going to put hands on Manny Pacquiao. So. Honestly, I, I'm not much of a boxing fan. Um, I'm a huge boxing guy. I, I don't follow it that much. I know that Mayweather Pacquiao is the big question. Like, is this going to happen? But I don't. I don't. I haven't watched either of them fight their last whatever <laughs> five fights, so I don't know what's going to happen or anything. Well, they fought the same six or seven dudes and beat the hell out of both. You know, beat the hell out of the same guys right. in the last you know, however many fights. So, it's the only fight out there. It's the only one anybody wants to see. And for uh, you know, for boxing fans, you know, it's the equivalent of uh, you know, the Celtics Lakers from the '80s. Just the biggest thing that could happen, and uh, it's just a matter of when. But uh, we appreciate Mannix coming on, even even though he had the uh, Matrix sound sound effect. <laughs> I, you know what, Lang? I know some people probably cringe when they. I just, I love that stuff. I love the craziness of the Hang Time podcast. I, I do. I'm not gonna lie to you. I love the, the 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 inherent dysfunction that that goes on when we get behind these microphones, and Micah's over there. I, I love seeing Micah sweat. I wish I was there in the studio to watch him. I mean, if only people knew. Honestly, <laughs> love seeing him throw his phone around and take papers and throw them in the air. But uh, but no, that listen, the Rubio thing, and, and I, as much as it pains me to say this, Lang, this is two times you've hit me over the head with the two-by-four of your, of your Langstradamus. Um, you, you called Durant, and then you remember, I, I wasn't saying that Durant wasn't going to be great. I just said I wasn't sure, as sure as you were. You know, I, I thought Odin was the guy that was going to be the, the game changer. So you got Durant right. Now, I didn't have a... An, anybody to to fight rubio with i was just taking your word for it because you you've been over there and you'd slept in his bunk bed with him and you know had dinner with the family on the patio and all that stuff you were right about rubio it looks like it's two for two son i went i was i was thinking about it like this week when he played so well i was thinking about the first time i went over there it was in 2000 it was right after the vegas all-star game 2007 i went basically from vegas to new york for like a day and then went to barcelona and um the first game i saw Ricky play I actually hung out with him before I actually saw them play so I, I hadn't seen him play and I just heard all this stuff about how good he was and then um I went to the game and he didn't start the game I went to and I was like oh you know what's going on here <laughs> like I thought this guy's amazing and a game changer like he's not going to start um and then uh at the game uh he comes into the game and like almost immediately he like steals a pass goes the length of the court throws an around the back pass to some guy in the corner and I was like, oh, okay, now I get it. You know, this, this is this is what people are talking about, and he he's been awesome. So yeah, I mean, I remember I remember we exchanged emails back then when you kept telling me like, man, I'm telling you this Rubio, Rubio, Rubio. And I was going, what? You know, you know the skeptic in me. I'm, I'm always cynical. I'm going, nah. You know, I don't want to hear about this. Call me back when he actually does something. Yeah, you've been beating the drum for years, man. I got to give you credit on that. You really have. You've been you've been talking Rubio up for years, and it appears once again you're right. This might make up for you saying that Darko should have been the number one pick over LeBron all those years. Actually, you know what? I found my. Um... <laughs> don't don't give me people the wrong idea. I found uh, I found last night. I was looking. And I found the post I wrote 
on Slam Online in 2007 from when uh, I went and saw him play over in Spain and came back. <clears throat> and in the post, I said uh, something about, you know, I, I think he's going to be really good. And I was like, you know, we can put up – I offered to bet Chad Ford 10 years from now we can compare our – Darko slash Ricky Rubio observations. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't take the bait though. So. Smart man. Smart man. <laughs> there, there, are, there are several uh, reporters who should should stay away from the Darko conversation, and they know who they are. Um, and unfortunately, we won't be able to end the show today on such a positive vibe, Lang. Um, we, we've we've got one more very pressing topic to discuss. Um, and and this is one of those ones I hate to even bring up, but DeMarcus Cousins made some of the most bizarre news I can remember a, a, a young player in the NBA making on the court um, when he demanded to be traded from the Sacramento Kings. Now, allegedly, allegedly um, st- still have to figure out, you know, wh- where that happened, you know, what the details are. But we got a guy on Tom Ziller and uh you you know him from SB Nation and Cowbell Kingdom, a guy who every you know anybody who pays attention to the NBA knows all about this guy. We got Tom Zillow on finally on the Hang Time podcast. Unfortunately, we got to talk to him about <laughs> about something this dysfunctional. And uh, and Tom, we appreciate you coming on and joining us. Please help us make some sense of this Demarcus Cousins situation. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Um, yeah, it's not not really a great way to start the new year, um, <laughs> Sacramento, but. But frankly, there hasn't been a lot of good in the last the last few years uh, for this team, and I think this is just sort of part and parcel with that. You have a team that sort of has the leadership vacuum, not only on the court, but but in the front office, in, on the coaching staff. Um, the fact that, I, I don't know, you guys have obviously been covering the league for a long time. I don't ever remember a coach putting out a basically a press release that's, that's his statement and his words. There's nothing from Jeff Petrie in that statement or anything from the Maloose. It, it's just the coach explaining, you know, how things work in the NBA and, and why he's he sent a, a young a young player home. It was bizarre to see that last night and then to see that Cousins wasn't going to play. The players didn't seem to have any clue what was going on um, after the game. Uh, some of the reporters there talked to the players, and they all seemed stunned that, that Cousins demanded a trade. Given that, um, and given that Cousins' agent, uh, has denied that he demanded a trade. That he just said, you know, trade me in in a in a fit of passion. Um, it sort of seems like the Kings are blowing this out of proportion to make an example out of Demarcus to try to 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 smack him publicly to to try to back him down to use the stick instead of the carrot to to try to change his ways. And mm-hmm. I'm just not sure that that's the the right way to go. And Tom, I know that. Hey, it's Lang, by the way. <laughs> I know that. Um... Uh, you know, he, he's 21 years old, you know, he's a kid. Is, is that part of this whole thing in Sacramento? This, you know, there, there's not a lot of older heads around, especially in that locker room, I would guess. Is, is it sort of like too much youth? Um, they can't quite get a grip on things or is it, is it just DeMarcus Cousins unhappy, is unhappy? Well, I mean, you, you look at other young teams, you look at Oklahoma City, They've had a, a couple issues with Westbrook and Durant mm-hmm. there, but nothing out of the ordinary. I think Cousins is certainly one of the more difficult young players in the league, but you drafted him. You know what you were getting into. Westfall was there when they drafted him. He um, he had you know some role in, in making that choice, mm-hmm. just as he did the year prior with Tyreek Evans. Um, he knew what he was getting into. He knew what kind of player uh, DeMarcus Cousins would be coming in. 
uh, John Calabari did not mince words about, you know, Cousins' need to improve his maturity um, coming out of college. Everyone knew what was going on. They hired his high school coach. They knew that they were going to have uh, a learning curve there. Yeah. But they've done nothing really to to sort of uh, bolster their their authority um, in dealing with him. They they don't have veteran players. They have Francisco Garcia, um, who's kind of a back of the bench guy who has served as the leader over the last couple of years. Um, their other veterans are Samuel D'Alembert, who's never been confused with a leader on the court, <laughs> and they brought in John Salmons, who might be the, the quietest player in the league in terms of locker room presence. So um, I don't know what they expected. You know, you take a guy who needs to mature quickly, mm-hmm. um, who's becoming a millionaire at age 20, and being thrust into the starting lineup from day one, and uh, you don't have uh, a coach that demands respect. You don't have players on a locker room that demand respect. What do you expect to happen? Tom, Tom, how much of this do you think is strictly the the fractured relationship between just Westfall and DeMarcus Cousins? I mean, I know they've had dust-ups from basically the start. How much of this is just these two guys and the fact that they will not see eye to eye? I mean, I can't imagine this magically gets mended because somebody calls somebody or sits down and has a has a cup of coffee and a heart-to-heart. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think that's, that's a big part of it. And the thing with Westfall is this isn't new for him. This isn't the first time that he's – had a run-in with a player going back to Seattle. He obviously had uh, a big issue with Vin Baker, who was falling out of shape and falling into the various states of, of uh, disrepair, so to speak, and then had a blow-up with Gary Payton, where he suspended Payton for arguing with him on the bench, and then uh, Payton apologized, so, so West Paul rescinded the, the suspension and then got fired a few days later. Uh, he had an issue with Spencer Hawes a few years ago where uh, Hawes, Omri Caspi, and Tyreek Evans criticized uh, their preparation, the team's preparation on the court in the media. Um, only one of those players got suspended. That was Hawes. Um, and uh, they had a, a very public uh, um, sort of statement about things being okay, where they chest bumped in the, uh, when Hawes was uh, introduced in the starting lineup after he came back from suspension. Um, but they sure, they sure traded Hawes that June uh, for – for basically cap relief to get rid of uh, Andres Nocioni. So Tom, he had run-ins before. He had a run-in with DeMarcus last year, two two actually. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is a personal problem, and I think a lot of it is Westfall having these clashes with players. He just doesn't like to be challenged. Tom, um, all this aside, um, how have the Kings looked so far this season? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been really uh, a Jekyll and Hyde early season. They look great, of course, in the opener against the Lakers. Yeah. Um, they looked aggressive. I think this team's really best when they're reckless and aggressive and pushing the ball and just taking sometimes, you know, some circus layups, taking some, some iffy shots. But uh, when those goes down, when those goes down um, from Tyreek Evans and Marcus Thornton, they look good. They looked completely awful against the Knicks on Saturday, and that's what really sparked all this um, this drama between Westfall and, and Cousins. Um, they looked awful then. They, they looked terrible. Um, in the second half against the Blazers last week. So they've been really up and down, as you would expect a young team, but um, it's been more down than up. Tom, uh, we just talked earlier with uh, Chris Mannix about Rubio and how excited the fans are getting about him in Minnesota. What's the what's the Jimmer situation so far? Yeah, I think uh, fans are coming around on Jimmer. I think there were different expectations um, because um, – because of the lockout and everything, we didn't know, you know, if we were going to get Jimmer. I, I think a lot of fans were disappointed. I certainly was in that draft day trade where Kings traded down to pick up Salmons, 
uh, traded away Bane Udrick, who was the team's most consistent player last year, which is kind of funny to think about. And uh, <laughs> moved down to pick Jimmer when they could have picked him, you know, at seven. They could have picked Kimball Walker, which I think a lot of fans would have would have liked. But um, yeah, it, it's interesting. The the casual Kings fans really love Jimmer. We're, we have a lot of new fans that that live in Utah, strangely enough, mm-hmm. um, that we hear about. Um, his jerseys are selling off the rack. So I think it's everyone recognizes it's good for the franchise. He's been great. Um, for the most part, he was, he was not good against the Knicks, but um, he's been great. Otherwise um, he shows good court vision. He had a, a, a team high five assists last night. That's the team high for the entire season so far. So wow. um, <laughs> best point guard on the roster, not named Isaiah Thomas. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think fans are excited. I don't think it's quite the Rubio thing because, Jimmer's not that type of spectacular uh, playmaker. Right. Um, his biggest plays are going to be those 30-footers, and you don't get too many opportunities to do that in the flow of the game. So um, I, I think fans are reasonably excited about him. Tom, before we let you get out of here, let me just ask, if, if this Kings team is going to take a step at all in the next year, do you think it comes with that with a nucleus that includes those guys we're talking about? You know, Tyreek obviously, Jimmer and these guys, and Cousins, or is it? It'll have to be done with without Cousins as a part of their mix. I think if the front office has to make a decision, um, they'll be keeping Cousins before they before they uh, throw their lot with with Westfall going forward. Westfall's in the last season of his uh, contract. I, I don't think you can get fair value for Cousins, not only because he's on a rookie contract in his second year, but also because. Uh, with that statement yesterday, Westfall pretty much killed his his reasonable trade value, telling the world how much of a difficult problem he was. So um, I don't think they can trade Cousins and get any sort of fair return on him. So I think mm-hmm. he's got to be here for for at least the near future. I think Tyreek is definitely in place. I, I don't see them trading Thornton at any point, and I think Jimmer's going to be here for the long haul as well. No doubt. Tom Ziller from SB Nation and Cowboy Kingdom joining us on the Hangtime Podcast. Thank you so much, man. Happy New Year to you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it, Tom. Thank you. Well, again, Lang, I, I just don't know. I don't, you know, at a time when the, the league is flush with young talent everywhere, I just I think it's a very dangerous time for a guy like DeMarcus Cousins to be even if he feels strongly about it, it's a dangerous time to be acting the way he's acting only because there's so much promise in a lot of different places that you can be, you can fall by the wayside in a heartbeat nowadays as a young player in the NBA. I hear you. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just, I'm serious. I, I just feel like, I'm, you know, you look back at drafts and guys who were supposed to be big time players and maybe it didn't click for them right away. The league moves on. I mean, the the league yeah. literally moves on, and they could they don't care about how much talent you have because there's so much more. Look at this draft class coming in. You know, this 2012 class is is expected to be loaded. If you're Demarcus Cousins and you're two years removed from being a lottery pick and everybody being excited about you, and and here come the next wave of Kentucky rookies. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, that'll be all she wrote. So I I just like I said, I I just think it's a dangerous time. Um, and I hear everything Tom's saying. I, 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 I've heard different things, different theories about what's going on up there. A lot of people look at Westfall and, and point fingers at him and say maybe he's the guy that's that, that the center of all this stuff. Other people look at, at Cousins and point out the fact that there were a lot of questions surrounding him, you know, uh, uh, at, during the draft pre-draft process. I, I'd, I'd hate to see a young guy with that much talent, 
you know, uh, get marginalized so early in his career. Well, I, I think it's a little early to, you know, to write him off. I mean, this, and yeah. also keep in mind, like, this whole thing has been happening for, like, less than 16 hours, I think, now. <laughs> no, you know, I, mean, I, don't, I don't think so, though. Like, no, I but I mean, this this current situation year, happened last night. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? If you look back to the history of this, the short history of, of this guy and this franchise, it's just, a, I'm saying it's a dangerous well, sure. You know, foundation to have as a player in the league nowadays. Just seems to me like in the NBA, you don't want to be the Portland in the Rasheed Wallace. You want to be the Detroit in the in the Rasheed Wallace kind of thing. It sort of feels the same way with Demarcus. Yeah, I you know, but I I still I think this is. I mean, it's it's not like this guy's a lost call. I mean, he played really well at Kentucky, and they you know apparently didn't have problems there, or, or you know nothing to <laughs> nothing to have Calipari issue a press release against him or anything. So <laughs> I, I don't I don't I think it's too early to to completely you know turn the page on him. And I, I think um, you know as Tom said, I think this is sort of the king's way of trying to, to kind of nip this in the bud and, and get out in front of the story a bit and and. Um, sort of like make a make a statement, and um, you know we'll see how he reacts. I think that's what you do now is you see how how Demarcus responds to this, and and you know see if 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 this trade thing is for real or not for real or whatever. I think you know the next twenty four forty eight hours is where we're really going to learn something about this. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, we shall see, my friends. The Hangtime Podcast, uh, always an entertaining and uh, roller coaster ride with. Seku Smith here from the Hangtime Blog at NBA.com. Lang Whitaker, uh, my co-host and cohort. Micah Hart, our super producer. Gentlemen, let's do this again next week, huh? Sounds good. Go dogs. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast. Four forty-eight hours is where we're really going to learn something about this. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, we shall see, my friends. The Hangtime Podcast, uh, always an entertaining and... Uh, Roller coaster ride with Seku Smith here from the Hangtime Blog at NBA.com. Lang Whitaker, uh, my co-host and cohort. Micah Hart, our super producer. Gentlemen, let's do this again next week, huh? Sounds good. Go dogs. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast. To download more episodes of the show, visit the iTunes Music Store. Be sure to check out the Hangtime Blog on NBA.com. And for more of Lang, visit SlamOnline.com. You can follow Seku and Lang on Twitter at SekuSmithNBA and Lang with it. The Smyrna Spartans have yet to get on Twitter, but we'll let you know when they do. 